Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Kimberly and I want to give you a quick heads up before we get into the episode that we may talk about abuse in case you're not in the headspace to, you know, listen to that, come back later or listen to one of the 380 something episodes that are out there. There's a lot. I look on the back end and I'm like, how did I do all that? I don't know. Uh, But anyways, uh, Kimberly is born to a native Korean woman who would become the first Korean female chief warrant officer uh, five in the United States Army. Ooh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Kimberly prides herself on learning directly from her mother, her Shiro, who taught her firsthand how to turn obstacles into opportunities. I mean, I'm just impressed with that about your mom. Like, I'm like, that's really cool. Uh, Kimberly goes outside the boxes people try to put her in by sharing her unique experiences growing up Korean and Black, add in being married to a foreign-born spouse who is currently serves in the United States Army, and being a proud parent to a queer teenager. In the words of Kimberly, her worlds all mix in. Welcome to the podcast, Kimberly. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you, Megan. I'm such a fan. I love I love it when people like listen to the podcast beforehand. I'm really hoping with these PhD programs that they're going to see on my like uh, CV, which is like the academic resume and see the podcast and be like, let me listen in because I feel like they will love me and then they won't want to work with me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so today, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your failures and you call them failures. And I was reading through that. I'm like, I don't know if I quali- qualify them as failures, but you could, <laughs> you did. So share a little bit about like your story, what you went through growing up and as an adult that, you know, led to the, the massive growth that you went through. Sure, sure. So I do a lot of speaking, public speaking. And I think what what makes me different is I lead with failure. A lot of people like to lead with, look at me, I'm so shiny and look at my accolades and all my accomplishments. And I'm like, bro, I fucked out of college. <laughs> Same. Same. You know, I'm like, I flunked out of college. I got out of an abusive marriage. I, you know, was was technically homeless for a period of time during my marriage. I was a single mom, roughing it, thankful when my job had leftovers for meetings so that I could feed the kid after work. You know, it was not an easy road. So, so yeah, I think that a big difference between me and other people is I lead with failure. And I think, you know, we, we don't talk about failure enough. Failure is the road to success. And the Mm -hmm. only way we're ever going to be whatever our version of success successful is, is if we embrace failure. And I, I use the word failure very, very loosely because I don't believe in the word, to be quite honest. I think 
you're just a human living your human life, just experiencing human existence. And in the words of Nelson Mandela, he says, I never lose. I either win or learn. And that's how mm-hmm. it's failure is it's an opportunity to learn. You have to frame your mind to say, am I going to sit in this shit and be miserable? Or am I going to take this experience where things did not go the way I wanted to or planned or expected and figure out what can I learn from this so I can move forward and actually have things go the way that I want them to. So I never lose. I always win (laughs) or learn. And this year I've learned a lot. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about how you're homeless and you failed out of college. I also, the first time going to college failed out pretty hard my last semester. And I like look back at that transcript and I was like, oh, that girl was going through so much. You know, I was a single mom. I was dealing with an undiagnosed mental illness, like all these different things. And I also ended up in an abusive relationship. So I can totally relate to that. What are some things that you learned going through these different things? Like, you know, that's, you know, being a single mom, being homeless, you know, going through an abusive relationship. Those are pretty hardcore things that can really weigh on you. They are. They are really hardcore things. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned is that friends are the family you choose and that they are the ones who can really push and propel you through sometimes when you don't even believe in yourself. And I think when you get to these points where you're homeless and when you're experiencing extreme difficulty, you you're, you feel hopeless. You feel like you've dug yourself or somebody has put you in this pit and every decision you make just adds more depth to this pit. And you're like, bro, I'm trying so hard to like claw my way out, but I'm just like, falling deeper back down. And I really think, I really think it's so important to connect yourself with people. Um, For me, I do have invisible disabilities. I have mental health issues. I have high functioning depression, which, you know, looks really glamorous because man, you're like, so you're such, you're so awesome. You're doing so many things. You're just like all over the place. And I'm like, yes, because I'm a people pleaser and I'm high functioning depression. And my anxiety, the way it runs is like, I have to get all the things done. So it's the acceptable form of mental illness where, where Mm -hmm. it's shinier because like on the outside, it's like, wow, but on the inside and and home when nobody's watching, I'm balled up in a corner, like, how am I going to do this? (laughs) But I think, and I say all that to say, I think it's really important to have friends, to have a therapist, to have a trusted person to discuss the things because a mind is a terrible place to be alone, a terrible place to be Mm -hmm. alone. And that doesn't matter who you are, no matter how massively air quote successful you are or how unsuccessful you are, another air quote there, you need to talk to somebody because a mind is a terrible place to be alone, especially when so many millions of Americans, billions of global citizens are dealing with mental health issues that are undiagnosed. We all carry so much childhood trauma into our adult lives. And where so many of us are just walking adults, but really children on the inside trying to just make it. So you have to have those conversations with a trusted person preferably a therapist yeah. and 
And, and I'm so glad that in 2022 and beyond, therapy is becoming more normalized mm-hmm. and becoming cheaper and also free for many. Uh, for many. So um, I really just think that that is a huge way forward to get to you, get you to your version of success. Yeah, I am high functioning bipolar disorder. <laughs> and a lot of people are like, I can't believe you have bipolar disorder. I'm like, you don't live in my head. Like <laughs> there are literally days that yeah. I have to force myself to get out of bed. That you know, not any, I mean, medication has significantly helped me. So I don't struggle as much. But like before being diagnosed, I was only diagnosed with bipolar disorder three years ago. And I've had it like for several decades. Now looking back, I'm like, oh, there it was. Um, but yeah, like there were days that I had to force myself to get out of bed to put my kids on the bus, you know? And then I went right back to bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I totally relate. And you know, for me, my background as a child of a military service member and then marrying into the military, we really grew up with that culture of you're okay, push forward, you're okay, push forward, and not talking about mental health struggles. So I was only diagnosed with with clinical depression and anxiety in 2021. But I know that I have been battling this since I was in grade school. Mm -hmm. I have my first, my first memory of suicidal ideations is when I was like eight years old. Yeah. You know, and, um, and I know people are like, that's crazy. Why eight year old have suicidal ideations because I grew up with abuse. I would rather have died than be alive to endure the abuse. No, I, uh, I have dealt with depression since single digits too. Like, and people can't believe it. Like, there's no way you dealt with depression when you were like six. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did. Right. Like, right. Depression's like my best friend. Cause I literally <laughs> grew up with it when I started on medication and it's like, you know, I wasn't experiencing it as much. I actually like grieved a little bit. I was like, where's my bestie? We hung out for decades. <laughs> Wait, this cloud is disappearing. Wait a minute. I'm attached. And it's scary because, you know, you get used to it and you know what to expect. And when it goes like, you know, it goes away. And with bipolar disorder, there's also up. So it did go away at moment, like, you know, for moments, but it always came back. It was like, oh yeah, there it is. And then now on medication, like I'm, I go long periods of time before it comes back. And I was like, this is unknown. This is uncharted territory to not have like depression in my life on a regular basis. Cause I would go months with depressive episodes and then go months with like the manic episodes. It was, it was, it was a wild ride. <laughs> but, like, I'm sure you can relate to that depression when, you know, like you're not having it all the time and living in it. You're like, what's going on here? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think my most recent um, depressive episode was 20 was was longer than this, but I fully realized that I was in that depressive episode in 2021. And what happened, I got out of a toxic relationship with my job. That is a thing, guys. I got out of a toxic relationship with my job. And I thought that because I was no longer in that working position that I'll be fine. But it was months later and I'm like, I'm not okay. What is mm-hmm. wrong with me? Like there's, there's things are good. I, I just bought a house, you know, like life is good, but I just couldn't 
like my brain wasn't connecting. It was still just holding on to that. My body, you know, the body keeps score. The body was yep. holding on to that. And I realized that I was in a depressive episode for years. And I remember mm-hmm. with medication and intensive therapy, I was doing therapy once a week yeah. that there was this point where I said to my therapist, who's my paid best friend, you paid messy yes I said you know that point in the movie where you can see that character come out of of sadness and things start to look up and the the movie scenes start to get brighter I said that's where I'm at in my life right now and it was such a liberating feeling to Mm -hmm. feel like I was finally the main character in my life (laughs) right Depress your bestie depression is no longer the main character. <laughs> no, I could tell. Yeah, I, I actually had a therapist who was like my bestie. And I think she became too enmeshed in my uh in my life. And that's why she's like, we got to we got to cut this. Like, Because I remember going in one of our last uh therapy sessions and she's like, I just, when it's a Megan day, I just get so happy and excited because I like love hanging out with you. And I think that was the moment she realized like, oh, this has gone beyond like this therapy patient, like relationship. And now like I, I, it's more of like, just we're, we're best friends and it wasn't serving me because like now it's just like, I just want to make her happy. And, and I, I couldn't I, be honest like anymore. And she, she couldn't play her role. So it just became like a, a, a yeah, we had to end it. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, I love, I love that for you guys, Megan, because you saw a shift in the relationship and you saw how to move forward. And I think that's something else with therapy that we need to understand the more, because, you know, you get close with people. I, yeah. I, I jokingly say that Jose is my paid best friend, but Jose is my paid best friend. Right. And, and, but he, but we still have that client provider relationship. And even um, as I was working with Jose, there became a point in time where he, um, where he broke up with me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and, and I say that lightly uh, because I, I do comedy. So I always, you know, make everything a joke, but but he did break up with me. Um, after we were in our sessions, he said, Kimberly, you know, I really enjoy our time. You're making such great headway, but ask yourself, do you really need me right now? And, mm. and the answer was without a second thought, it was no, which is a place that you want to get with your therapist. Right. And I do think uh, to, to be very, very clear, um, we still meet a few times a year because yeah. I think- that you don't, you should never stop seeing a therapist. You should do quarterly, biannual check-ins to make mm-hmm. sure that you're, especially if you know you have diagnosed mental health issues, you need to make sure you stay grounded and you have this trusted person, your therapist to ground you. So we still meet throughout the year, but we did not have to meet every week because therapy evolves. You should yeah. not have to, your, your, your goal is to become self-sufficient your goal is to become strong in your own mind um with little tune-ups here and there right (laughs) so so you shouldn't um you shouldn't have the expectation that you should be seeing your therapist every week um for the rest of your life so I I hope that people take take that um and know like okay I can do therapy for a season and just do do the check-ins it's like you're 
your annual uh, physical exam. Right. And it can become a crutch, right? Like therapy can become like, instead, you don't want to, you don't want to spread your wings and fly on your own. And you're just like, it becomes this thing where like, I'm scared to be on my own. So I'm going to use you as a crutch. And I tell people all the time, I think everybody needs therapy. Like, I don't care what your experience is at some point in your time in your life. I think everybody needs therapy. Absolutely. I I agree with you. It should be like this annual check-in, how you're doing. And on my list of like, if I get accepted in a PhD program and move, my very first things will be like, I need a therapist and I need a psychiatrist. (laughs) Those are the two things. And, and now my therapist, my current therapist and I only meet like once a month. And it's usually, she's like, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Tell me what's happened in the last month. Well, here's some things. How have you managed? Actually pretty freaking good. So I feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I agree. And, and what I love about my therapist is the ability to do just that. So I do um, seasonal affective disorder hits me hard and I live in Colorado Springs which is a beautiful area but we have these short days and long nights and you know it's cold and and these things are just like I'm I I'm from Korea which is a peninsula technically but I'm like we can't even go up north it's an island so (laughs) (laughs) so I'm like I'm an island girl you know (laughs) and Korea is not tropical but in my head it is so I'm like I need sun and palm trees (laughs) and water and I don't get that here in Colorado and while I absolutely love it here those things do affect me so Mm -hmm. in this winter season that we're coming up into I have you know reached out to my best friend Jose, the therapist and said, Hey, um, I do need to start meeting with you once every two weeks, um, so that I can make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And then also my family is coming in my family and I adore my family, but family is a stressor, a positive Mm -hmm. stressor and negative stressor combined. And I said, I need you. I need you so that I can sort out whatever feelings that I have because my sexual assault happened in December when I was a child. So, so though family coming in for the winter holiday is, is nice. There's also that, there's also that little Kimberly who remembers being traumatized in the winter and feeling, you know, feeling like that's when a big part of me broke. So I think you should absolutely know what your triggers could be or triggers are and, and coordinate that to ensure that you get the best care for yourself. Yeah. These, these traumas that we go through, they can be really connected to, to different things, right? It might be a time of year. It might be like a song. It could be like, you know, an experience like a movie theater. I I mean, I'm not pulling things that I've personally experienced, but like things that people talk about, it could be a, a time, it could be a place, it could be like a, whatever was going on, right? There's all these little things that can be connected to like, how how could we be triggered by this trauma? And we have to be really aware and, you know, have support for those things. Because I mean, trauma is trauma is trauma. Like a lot of times people will be like, downplay it. Well, Megan, I didn't go through what you went through. And I'm like, man, you went through trauma. Like it is trauma. Like we, you know, and you got to deal with that and you got to process it. It's really important. And I love that. You're like, my family's coming in. It's that time of year. And I know it can be triggering for me. So 
I'm going to meet with Jose, my best friend therapist, and I'm going to stay on track. (laughs) (laughs) yes I am I am such a huge proponent for therapy in fact I'm such so much of a huge proponent for therapy I think that every because we we walk into year 18 expecting to be Mm grown-ups and anyone who is over 25 will more than likely admit to you that at 18 they were absolutely not a grown-up And you, you don't just wake up overnight from 17 to 18 and have the understanding of how the world operates and how you operate in the world, which is the more important part. Mm -hmm. And I think my, my radical idea that I would just love to see is (laughs) at 18 years old, instead of, if you go to college, university, military, whatever you do, fine. But in whatever you're doing, that organization has a program that is a six month to six to 12 month program where all they're doing is working on your childhood trauma, rebuilding a foundation for you, Mm -hmm. because so many of us have these broken foundations because of childhood trauma. We don't get to choose who our parents are. We don't get to choose where we live. We don't get to choose how we exist as a child, but at that 18 year old mark is when we start to choose how we exist, but you're making those choices based off of your lived experiences, which often include a lot of childhood trauma. Yes. I would love to see all organizations invest in our people by doing a six to 12 month program where it's like, okay, we're, we're giving you a reset. You, you're still getting paid. You're still, you know, you don't have to worry about the financial aspects of life. We are giving you a solid reset. Um, and for some people, you know, if you had a happy childhood, great, good for you, you know, enjoy <laughs> Enjoy that six to 12 month incubation period still. But for the rest of us, this would be a perfect time to just be able to heal and let that mm-hmm. hug that little person inside of you. Um, and I I would, man, I would just love to see that. But that's my crazy radical idea. I'll never get elected for any position with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you got to think about, I wasn't until I was like, oh, was I think I was in my early thirties and I was sitting through a domestic violence training because I wanted to help out at a domestic violence shelter and, or intimate partner violence shelter. We got to be inclusive here. Um, it doesn't just happen inside your home. It can happen in any relationship that you, you know, might have any partner you might have, but anyways, I was sitting through this training and I was like, oh shit, I have like witness and dealt with abuse since I was a child, because mine was like, not so much physical abuse, but emotional and like mental abuse. And it was like this ding, ding, ding. No wonder I have all these like really messed up relationships because I was never taught how to have a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And like, I even married my spouse. We've been married almost 12 years. In the very beginning, it was rough. I don't know how he stuck it out with me, because I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship. However, he grew up in a, in a household where that was, he witnessed base like mostly healthy relationships. So we came in and it was like this big, like he was super patient, but I was just like, so combative. Cause like, <laughs> that's just what I was taught that. I mean, not physically combative, but like emotionally and verbally combative. Cause that's what I was taught growing up. And that's what I knew. And so like these really poor relationships I had, that was normal because that's what I had been through. 
And then I get married to this man who's like super patient, super nice guy and like has learned all these healthy things. And I'm just like this, what, what is going on? And it took years for me to realize, oh, that's because I learned really like abusive things growing up. And I didn't even realize because that was normal for me. That was normal. Like, that's what I experienced. I'm like, oh, not everybody experiences this. Yeah. And you know, and I, and I, gosh, I so appreciate you, Megan, because you mentioned your, your partner who was patient and loving and kind and had these healthy coping mechanisms. Um, but you know, you you are essentially saying Prince Charming doesn't take the pain away. You still right. have to grow through that, you know. And and the same for me, you know. My my mom was my safe place. My grandmother was my safe place. But they cannot work through that internal me for me. I have to do that myself. It doesn't matter how amazing somebody comes in your life, whether it's in the form of a romantic partner, a job, a friend, a therapist. You have to be willing to do the work. And um, that was hard for me too, because I had to be vulnerable mm-hmm. with myself, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and, it, and it's crazy how, how hard it was to admit in t- tearfully, like, I don't know what's wrong with me. This is, you know, this is what happened to me. And to say these things out loud and to say mm-hmm. this abuse out loud and to say these things, because I felt like, I had to keep the secrets to protect my family. Mm-hmm. I had to keep the secrets to protect myself, but being a secret keeper just put me in prison, my yeah. own prison. So I love, love, love that you that you own that, hey, I had to do it. I had to do it myself. I had to figure it out and thankful that this person was there beside me, but you know, you have to do the work. Yeah, I tell him he's a glutton for punishment. <laughs> dude I don't know why you stuck with me this long but thank you I appreciate you so much but I would have walked away from this crazy train a long time ago (laughs) but yeah you have to take accountability right and you have to like you have to be willing to sit in that and be like okay yes there's a reason for my behavior but there's not an excuse for my behavior and so many people like use what they went through as an excuse like to be a it horrible human being. Like my mom is a terrible human being. Um, and she went through some stuff growing up. I totally understand that. And I have empathy for her, but she took that out on me as mm-hmm. a child. Like, and I have a sister my sister had a completely different experience growing up, even though we lived in the same household. Like people don't understand that. And they're like, well, your sister talks to your mom. Your sister has a relationship with your mom. I'm like, Cause my sister didn't have to deal with the abuse that my mom put me through. Um, I think partially cause my mom was forced to have me and she was a teen mom and she thinks it ruined her life by me being born. But anyway, she uses what she went through as the excuse for her behavior instead at like 50 some years old, I'm going, no, I got to heal. I got to, I got to have accountability and it sucks. It does suck to sit in it and be like, Oh man, I and I gotta I gotta heal this instead of just you know acting out in ways because of what I've been through. Right, not- right. <laughs> it would be it would be great to use things as an excuse, but no, not really. Um, <laughs> people say people say hurt people hurt people, yep. and 
while I agree with that, I'm like, let's take that a little bit further. Because if we keep saying hurt people, hurt people, we're really just giving people an excuse to continue hurting people. And mm. when does it end? What it doesn't sound as sexy and glamorous, but the truth is it's unhealed people who hurt people. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm hurt. I still walk around hurt. I'm, but I'm not going to go out there projecting. I, I want to bring joy into the world. And I want, and the only way I can do that is by healing myself. Yeah. And, and, and we're responsible for that, right? We could, we can look back and be like, my parents didn't do this. I was, you know, assaulted by, you know, a family member from, in my case, I was abused. I was sexually abused by my uncle. And so like, you could be, I could be like, my uncle did this. I went through this abusive relationship, blah, 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 all these things I went through and blame all those things for it. And instead I got to be like, no, 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 I'm responsible for healing me. Like it's my responsibility. It's not anybody else's. It's not my, my spouse's responsibility. It's not my best friend's response. It's mine. I got to take ownership of that and be like, no, Megan needs to heal Megan. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we all have a sob story. Every single now 8 billion of us in the world, we all have a sob story. It is up to us to make it a success story. There becomes a point in your time where you're responsible for your own healing and happiness. You cannot spend your days just you know, hateful for the experiences that happen to you. Again, it just puts you in your own prison where you're, you know, you're collecting bodies to your prison because you just project all this <laughs> ugliness. <laughs> right. So when was your light bulb moment? When was that, you know, cause we all have those moments where we're like, oh, this has got to change. Cause if this doesn't change, it's going to be real bad. When was that moment in time for you? Which one do you want? whichever one you want to share (laughs) you know what I have I have several um I think and I think that's the thing about trauma too is if you're not actively working towards healing and maintaining healing then you're falling backwards and it's Mm -hmm. it's really easy to do so so um I remember I I tell people when it came to college I put the mess in semester Okay. Like (laughs) I was this bright, shining high school star and then went into college with all these accolades and all these expectations from other people. Girl, by the end of my first semester, I ended with a 0.0, a 0.0. Like, (laughs) damn, I couldn't even get one D. (laughs) So, so. And, um, and what happened was I, I ended up in a relationship I had no business being in. I had no sex education outside of my very limited teenage things that I've heard. Right. Right. I was so terrified of sex because I was like, I don't want to get pregnant, but then I didn't go and educate myself or, nor was I educated about this bit. And I ended up pregnant. And I was like, I'm 18. I can't. Yeah, I was a teen mom too, girl. I, was like, I can't have a baby. You know, I was like, I was all, you know, and in my head leading with success. I was like, I was this and I was this and I was this mm-hmm. and I was this. What am I going to do? And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had an abortion, but growing up with a Christian upbringing, a Southern, you know, a weird mash of Southern military, Korean, Black upbringing having an abortion was this huge thunderstorm of shame over mm. my over my life 
And I already had these experiences where I was sexually assaulted. And now I've assaulted myself, essentially, um, because I made a decision without, without being informed. And I had all this shame and that ate me up. And, and I lived in that for a while. And finally, I think I was around 20, 20 or so. And I was like, I am going to be a miserable person. I'm not going, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it to 25. I'm not going to make it to, to my 21st birthday. And I realized something had to change. And I was finally honest with my mom. And I told her, this is what's going on. And, you know, like the Shiro she is, she just yeah. me in. And I'm sure her heart was breaking, but she just, you know, was a mama bird and just, and just took care of me and, and just loved on me and to, and got me on the right path. So that was one, <laughs> that was one light bulb moment. Um, but you know, you do well and you think you're fine. And especially mm -hmm. at this time, I wasn't, I wasn't diagnosed with uh, depression and high functioning, high functioning anxiety. So you do well, and then you, you feel like I've made it. And then you fall, you fall, you mm -hmm. fall harder the second time you fall harder the third time because you really haven't completely dealt with those core issues. Yeah. I can relate to being the shining star from high school. I think I graduated fifth in my class and, and, and that was really competitive. Okay. Our, our co-valedictorians had over a 4.0 GPA. Like this is some crazy stuff. And I had a partial scholarship to go to this private university. And I was like really pressured to go there. Cause that was the university, right? That was like, that's the top university in my area. Woohoo. Megan got in. She should go. None of my family attended college or got a college degree. So none of them were aware of, I'm going to be saddled with some student loan debt. And there's going to be so much pressure on me that I'm probably not going to do well. Cause I was a single mom. I was working full time. I was like trying to do all these things all at once while managing an undiagnosed mental illness and trying to be a, a young person. And really, if I look back at Megan, then I would have been like, no, no, go to the community college girl go to that or go to that four-year university everybody looks down on, but you're really going to get the support there because like, they're not going to put the pressure on you. You're going to be good. Do it girl. But I didn't know. Right. And I ended up, I went a little bit longer than you. It was my final semester. I had flunked a bunch of classes. I wasn't, I was on academic probation, right. Or academic warning, whichever one's the more severe one. And I just, everything fell apart that last semester. Like my mental health got really bad. I got into that abusive relationship. It was just, and I ended with 1.8 something. <laughs> <laughs> I looked back at that and I was like, oh man, harsh. <laughs> you know, but you graduate high school with this really high GPA and everybody's expecting you to do so well. And then you just, take a nose dime, you know? And, and that, and that, and you hold on to that shame too. You're like, man, oh, yeah. um, because at that time, at that stage in our lives, you have, you, you really um, are so burdened with everyone's expectations yeah. uh, because you haven't made your own yet. You haven't really decided, like you don't even, you, we don't even know ourselves. And, and that's why I think I agree with you. If I could go back, I probably would have joined the military or I would have gone to a, a junior college, community college, or I would have taken a gap year. And, yeah. um, and that's why I think it's so important that we have the opportunity to do that six to 12 month period after high school, where it's like, 
All right, let's just grow. You know what? I, I changed my mind. I think everybody's senior year should not be dedicated to any type of schooling. It should be dedicated just your senior year in high school should be dedicated to healing. There's my radical idea. Every senior throughout the country should have a program where it's just you're coming to school to learn life skills. That's it. Yeah. Because we're, we're put out on our own, right? Because we're expected to be an adult. And then, of course, kids, like I have a 19-year-old daughter. And as soon as she turned 18, I'm moving out. I'm an adult now. Oh, it's not working out very well. <laughs> but our, our our prefrontal cortex, we're not even fully formed until like 24 years old. So we have these 18-year-olds going out on their own. And they don't even know how to be adults. Like we do the best we can. but like. Oh, we have 18 year olds serving in the military. Okay. <laughs> it's wild that like, we're, that they're not even like, they're, they're not even like mature enough to make those decisions, but yeah. they do 17 year olds in the military. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 17 years old in the military. It's why I, I don't know. I know it's, it's wild. And so we have all these expectations of, of these young kids who like, you know, they don't even know. And in so many people don't even stick with what they, if you finish college and you get a degree, most of the time you don't even stick with what you got a degree in. Because when you're like 18 years old and you're like, this is what I'm going to do. You're going to, I'm 36. And then I only like recently knew what I wanted to do. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then, and, and let's be honest, the, the, the trauma that you, take from your childhood into your early adulthood, you're just adding more trauma. And, and in my experience, as I've talked with people, it's around that 25, 26, 27 age where they are finally starting to assess Mm -hmm. and realize like, damn, I wasted so much time because I was just floundering. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thankful that my 14 year old um, at this point, they're 14, so they could change their mind tomorrow. They could change their mind by the end of this day. But at this right. point, they're like, <laughs> my 14 year old is like, no, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to stick around for a little bit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, praise the goddesses, because <laughs> I'm like, I do not need you floundering with people, with other students who are floundering and giving you bad advice, you know, like stick around. I promise I'm not a helicopter parent. Just please. And besides, I don't want to pay another bill for you leaving. (laughs) Tell them, like, if you want to explore college, go to community college, because chances are you're going to go there free or cheap. You can get some, like, scholarships to cover that. Like, community colleges are, are, don't get enough credit, okay? Like, you you can go in there and you can change your major, like, 20 times. You can try out different classes. This is not like you have to commit to something I, my best experiences were in community college. I mean, cause I like, I had a 1.8 GPA. I had to go to community college, right. To bring hey, that up. Hey. No four year university was taking me on, but I had yeah, such hey. great like experiences. I got to explore all this stuff. Right. And, oh, I can't, I can't say enough. Like go to the community college, bang out those like basic stupid courses in math and science you got to take and just explore. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also had to go the community college route. So shout out to Central Texas College, because they they were like, we see you. We're going to take you. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to help my, you out. And my counselor, she was so amazing. She didn't dig into my personal life, but she was like she was she was a champion for me. 
you know, mm-hmm. she's like, she's like, Kimberly, yeah, I see your previous transcripts. She's like, but you're smart. She's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, she's like, I'm rooting for you. Let's, let's make you successful. And nobody in my four-year university was doing that. The minute I stopped mm-hmm. being shiny, they just wrote me off. Yep. And, um, and so for that reason, I actually spoke recently at, at um, a community college here in Colorado Springs, and you can tell the difference, the, the, the staff, when I was speaking, cause I was talking about my, my, my failures and my, my, my mess in, in semester. And she was like, we want that because we want these students to know that it does not matter how mm-hmm. you started. It matters how you finish and that they have everything in them already to be powerful. We're just here to be the tools to pull that out of them so that they can see it. And I was just, I'm such a champion for community colleges because I have not seen um, in my, uh, granted my, my limited and failed experience, I have not seen four-year universities. They want the people who are bright and shiny and who are going to stay bright and shiny. And that's not the way life works. And we chose my kids high school because it is a dual enrollment school where they will be able to go to community college. Oh, nice. So, so that they can start that experience early. So I'm, I'm in some ways, I'm very, very, very thankful for my failures because it's equipping me to be a better parent, a better mentor, a better community member, a better, a better sister to all of the people in the world. Cause I'm like, this is what I went through. And I I don't want you to go through this. If I can give you one small life hack, then I, then I'm, I'm thankful that I had a miserable existence for a period of time (laughs) to help you. (laughs) Here you all, you have this podcast because I was a miserable human being and wanted to share my life experience with the world. <laughs> so welcome for like six years now. <laughs> There's been a podcast <laughs> because I shit it out in life. It's okay. <laughs> but I mean, my most diverse experiences with people were in a community college because you have people of all walks of life, right? All ages, races, gender identities, because like, it's just an inclusive space that everybody can go to, right? And four-year universities, they have the, these expectations, like you said. And they, you know, I just, in the four-year universities I've attended, I just didn't experience the diversity I I did in community college. I mean, I also went to a community college in, in Virginia. Shout out to Tidewater Community College. If you live in Virginia, check it out. Um <laughs> I mean, so that might be part of it, but also anybody I've talked to that's gone to a community college, they've said that I, I sat in my social psychology class with this man who was in his seventies and he was like, I just wanted to come back and learn some stuff. Right. And I'm just like, man, I learned so much from him. He was sharing his life experiences and class, you know, relevant life experiences to what we were learning. But I was like, dang, who does this? You know? And then you get all these professors who are also from all these walks of life, right? Like I had professors who had PhDs. I had professors who had master's degrees. I had professors who like had whole businesses and then like came back because they were like retired. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I came back to teach all the things I learned. And I'm like, this is amazing, right? You don't see that in a four-year university. <laughs> you don't, you don't. And, and I have to say, when I was in community college, I really loved the experience because there was so much diversity, but not diversity in the sense of race and gender, but diversity in the sense of lived experiences. Yes. 
And all of a sudden I had people who were younger than me. I had people that were older than me. I had people, we built this community at this community college where I had big brothers and big sisters who were, who were like, okay, Kimberly, you know, how's your progress? It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like drill sergeant check-ins. It was like, well, people just genuinely rooting for you and traditional universities, it, a lot of times it feels very competitive and, um, I still, that still doesn't sit well with me. I believe in collaboration over competition every single day. I do not believe in the scarcity mindset. And I think a lot of four-year universities from the very beginning, when they're like, this is our acceptance rate, you're, you are just adding to the scarcity mentality. And I just don't, I just don't, I cannot vibe with it, Megan. I can not vibe with it. Let me tell you what, (laughs) applying to PhD programs is a whole other level of that. It's like, we have, you know, either, you know, 50 plus or hundreds of applicants and we're going to choose four. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, I'm really hoping y'all see some, you know, you know, something in me with my life experiences, I'm leaning hard on that shit in my personal statement. I'm like, listen, (laughs) I'm older. I've been through this. I've been through that, you know, like (laughs) you got to know, like I bring something to the table that you are not going to see in a 24 year old. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I wish you the best of luck, the best of luck. I, um, I started, I applied for a PhD program and I was really, really excited and I got rejected and I asked them, you know, I said, Hey, you know, can I get some feedback on how I could have had a stronger application? And I was really disheartened that some of the feedback I got was, um, they said, well, while we can't review your entire, you know, application and give you feedback, here are some possible reasons why you didn't get accepted. And one of those reasons was, um, previous, negative performance in, in, in education. So, you know, I had to submit all, all my transcripts and and I'm like, and I'm like, damn, it was more than likely my failed experiences at 19 years old. Um, that, that got me rejected. I'm like, damn, I'm almost 40 now. And (laughs) and I was like, that shit is still following me. But, um, but I wasn't honest with them. I was not honest with them about all, you know, all the whys behind it. I was just like, I was like, let me stand on my accolades. And, um, that was not enough. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you are being honest with your experience. And I think that adds depth and value to your application. And if they, if they say no, screw them, girl. (laughs) Applications, 11 of them. Like this is overwhelming the amount of applications I'm about to submit in two weeks, 11 them. But anyways, I I have a social psychology lab after this. So speaking of, (laughs) um, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I, I would like to tell them to lead with failure, you know, to own, to own that, to own those experiences, because no matter how broken you might feel with those experiences, if you're still breathing, you survive them. And, (laughs) and so so they did not (laughs) like, you might feel broken, but they did not break you because you are still here. So I would love for listeners to just really understand that 
whatever they went through, whatever they're going through, that's okay because hope is is not gone until that last breath is gone. So you still have the time to work it out. And once you own those experiences that happened with you, nobody, nobody can use them against against you. You know, people are like, Kimberly, I cannot believe you talk about publicly about having an abortion. What? So what? It's like, part of your life experience. experience. Yes. That's my life experience, not yours. It's not theirs. What are they going to do? Be like, they're going to talk about me having abortion. I ha- I talk about it. So <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoop de doo So once you own what you have done, what people have done to you, and you redefine that narrative and you put positive back into your mind through yourself, through therapy, through people that love you, that trauma it, it can no longer own you. Yes. It can no longer steal your present. It can no longer steal your future. So you can move forward. And that's what I would love people to, to know. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Megan. You are a delight. So delightful. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.